Chigoe, an only podcast series focusing on current matters in the Mi'kmaq community. Hello and welcome. My name is Sean Doak. I'm a proud member of the Lennox Island First Nation and communications officer with Olnoe. Welcome to Jigoe. I'm your host, and today I am joined by my colleague and fellow communications officer, Annie Martin. In the spirit of Mi'kmaq History Month, we're going to delve into some of the history behind the peace and friendship treaties that were signed between the Mi'kmaq and the Crown, and how these treaties still bear relevance today. Welcome back, Annie, and thank you very much for being here today. You're never too far, and it's been a while since we spoke on the podcast, so it's great to have you back. Thanks, Sean. Long time no see. It feels like we were just recording last year's Mi'kmaq History Month podcast. Thank you for having me. So let's dive right in. Um, For those who may not know or fully understand, what exactly is a treaty? That's a great place to start. Uh, As a quick backgrounder, Indigenous peoples have lived on this land we now call Canada for thousands of years with their own unique cultures, identities, traditions, languages and institutions. Uh, Early partnerships between Indigenous nations and colonial governments were created through treaties, as well as trade and military alliances, and those were based on mutual respect and cooperation. Mm -hmm. Um, Over many centuries, these relationships were eroded by colonial and paternalistic policies that became laws. Canada started a journey of reconciliation between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people, and it's a necessary journey to address a long history of colonialism and the scars it has left. So treaties help provide a framework for living together and sharing the land Indigenous peoples traditionally occupied. These agreements provide foundations for ongoing cooperation and partnership as we move forward together towards reconciliation. So honoring the treaty relationship based on the recognition of rights, respect, cooperation, and partnership is key to a healthy relationship and achieving meaningful and lasting reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. There's quite a bit of history there in that little uh, bit that you just said, and it, you summed it up quite nicely. But uh, let's dig a, a little deeper. And, and going back to the period before colonization, I've heard mention of treaties prior to European contact. I'm curious, can you tell me a little bit more about this? Yeah, so this is really interesting actually, and I'm glad you brought it up, because prior to European contact, the Mi'kmaq engaged in agreements with other First Nations. Mi'kmaq oral history mentions treaties of peace and friendship involving hunting areas. They were believed to have been discussed and agreed upon with other First Nations at Grand Council or Sante Mauiomi. Uh, type meetings. So First Nations here in Mi'kma'ki had been using treaties as a means of peacemaking even before Europeans arrived. That's fascinating actually because you know we to know we had complex systems in place uh, for governance issues and things like that even before there was a colonial presence Mm -hmm. Um, and once there was a colonial presence here on Turtle Island which is now known as North America and Canada our people the Mi'kmaq ended up signing treaties of peace and friendship with the Crown. So how did this come to be? So the Mi'kmaq ended up becoming allies of the French. The peace and friendship treaties were to ensure that the Mi'kmaq would not take up arms, like would not fight against the British, either during the battles between the French and the British, or just against the British settlers, and to try to discourage the Mi'kmaq from their alliance with the French. The treaties aren't about land, though. They're about their agreements about how to coexist together peacefully in Mi'kma'ki. These treaties were signed between representatives of the British government and the Mi'kmaq in 1725 to 26, in 1749, 1752, 1760 to 61, 
1779. This created a covenant chain of treaties. So, <clears throat> in the 1725-26 to 26 treaty, the British and the Mi'kmaq promised to cease hostilities, meaning the Mi'kmaq would leave the British settlements alone, and the British would not interfere with the Mi'kmaq hunting, fishing, and planting grounds. This treaty also laid the foundation for the treaties that would follow. Right. right. So then, the 1749 treaty was only signed by one Mi'kmaq community. The other Mi'kmaq communities refused to sign it because of the establishment of the British settlement of Halifax in June 1749, or Jibuktuk, meaning Great Harbor, as it was known to us. This led to a period of warfare between the Mi'kmaq and the British, which ended in 1751 and was followed by the Treaty of 1752. So, the 1752 treaty not only reaffirmed the 1725-26 to 26 treaty, but also included the possibility of a truck house where the Mi'kmaq could trade for merchandise and sell things, including skins, feathers, fowl, fish, or any other thing they shall have to sell in the British settlements. This was also the treaty that established October 1st as Treaty Day, a day to renew peace and friendship, which just took place. Right. The 1760 to 61 treaties did not reaffirm the earlier treaties, no mention of hunting, fishing, but they did include the promise that the Mi'kmaq would not interfere with the British settlers or settlements and that the Mi'kmaq would only engage in trade with the persons, managers of the truck houses. It also had the most signatories, which made it the strongest of the agreements. And the 1778-79 treaty with the British was to ensure that the Mi'kmaq would not assist the Americans in their revolution and would maintain peaceable relations with the British. The Mi'kmaq would be free to pursue their traditional hunting and fishing in their district without interference from the British and the fur trade would continue. So why were these treaties called peace and friendship treaties? We know things didn't quite turn out very peacefully or friendly in looking at history. Right. Um, so, Sean, the cornerstone of these agreements was the sentence verbatim from the Treaty of 1752, uh, and that the said Indians shall have all favor, friendship, and protection shown them from this His Majesty's government. What that means is, the Mi'kmaq were able to continue to hunt, fish, gather, and live as they had been since time immemorial, and it committed both sides to peaceable and friendly relations with one another. Besides referencing the few places where British settlers were living, the surrendering of land by the Mi'kmaq was not mentioned in the treaties as the focus was on maintaining peace between the two nations. Right, and hence the fact that we now say the unceded ancestral territory of the Mi'kmaq mm -hmm. because the Mi'kmaq never gave up surrendered or ceded any lands or resources to the British and I think that is really important to note yes. and though the treaties weren't honored by the British the, they were never forgotten by the Mi'kmaq they were passed through generations of oral history and uh, and and I think that's really important to note as well definitely yep like if we look at history we can see examples of this shortly after the last treaty was signed in 1779 the British used population growth and military power to overwhelm Mi'kma'ki mm -hmm. With the beginning of Canada as a nation, the Crown's efforts to control the Mi'kmaq and other Indigenous groups increased. The policies of this time have been referred to as treaty denial, and this has been very damaging for the Mi'kmaq. These treaties were also used in legal issues. So the Sillaboy court case our versus Sillaboy 1928 is believed to be the first to use the 1752 Treaty of Peace and Friendship to argue that the right to hunt on traditional territories was covered by the treaty. 
While the case was lost, Silloboy received a posthumous pardon and an apology from the government of Nova Scotia just in 2017. Jeez. Yeah. So, in 1999, this might be familiar, in what is known as the Marshall Decision, the Supreme Court of Canada recognized and affirmed a treaty right to hunt, fish, and gather in pursuit of a moderate livelihood, arising from the 1760-61 Treaty of Peace and Friendship. And in this trial, Donald Marshall Jr. used the treaty to argue that he was catching and trading fish just as the Mi'kmaq had done since the Europeans first arrived in the region. This was a historic landmark decision for the Mi'kmaq all across Mi'kma'ki. So in Ebigwitnawa Mi'kmaq oral stories and other parts of Mi'kma'ki, we're told that parents and elders, while passing down traditional resource-gathering methods, also share their knowledge of the treaties. From generation to generation, this was and is a way to ensure the peace and friendship treaties and their importance and the protection of Mi'kmaq rights is never forgotten in Mi'kma'ki. Mi'kma'ki is still Mi'kmaq territory, and the peace and friendship treaties serve as a foundation for the relationship of the Mi'kmaq and all citizens of the region. The treaties are living documents signed without end dates, and the duration of the agreements is their heirs and their heirs of their heirs forever. And... And because the knowledge of the treaties has been kept, we must too keep our intent to coexist peacefully uh, and to uphold our treaty obligations in the same spirit our ancestors intended. I mean, at least that's what I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are all treaty people, and, and we all have a responsibility to act accordingly to this, whether we know it or not. And we're fortunate here in Epicwit to have a government that has proclaimed and recognized Treaty Day uh, since 2019. Yeah. So for people who want to learn more, what can they do and where can they go, Annie? So I would encourage people to go a lot of places. You can learn something everywhere you look. You have the internet at your fingertips. You can take the time to educate yourself on the history of treaties. There, uh, there's a great place to start, uh, olnaway.ca slash treaty people. Mm-hmm. But you can also check out Treaty Education Nova Scotia on Facebook or visit mi'kmahhistorymonth.ca. That's all one word. So those are all great resources and information, not only for Mi'kmaq History Month, but year-round. There's so much to learn, you can't just keep it in one month. I think uh, that's really uh, that's a really important point that you just hit on there. Uh, to finish with, Annie, is that you know a lot of this information and education can't and shouldn't, frankly, be contained uh, to just one month of the year. This is um, something that people need to be thinking about and, and learning about uh, year-round. Um, I think it would be a disservice to try and fit it all into one month. So it's nice to have one month to really highlight it and, and splash it everywhere. But I really do hope that people uh, take some time to take that initiative and learn about the treaties uh, and and what uh, role they have as a treaty person and, and what they can do. So I just want to say, Wulalan, thank you for sharing, Annie. Uh, I really appreciate your time today, and I'm sure we'll be speaking here again in the future. Thank you, Sean. And Wulaliok. To all those who are listening, stay tuned for our next monthly episode. Sit Nogama, all my relations. To find out more about Ulnui and the Mi'kmaq rights reconciliation process, visit ulnui.ca.